What's up, bookworms? What's up, guys? I was not done yet. Oh, shit, my bad. Well, you, listen, you pause sometimes. You pause. Redo, redo that shit. Redo that shit. (laughs) I'm just kidding. They know who it is. It's not like... (laughs) Who's listening to us doesn't know who we are. Wanna make me listen? I'm already listen. I'm already a shit podcast host as it is. <laughs> God help me. You think you are? Um. So, uh, uh, it's a lovely. We recorded this on Tuesday. It's a lovely Tuesday, at the time. And uh, Stevie, what's going on in the book world this week? Um, let's see. Kaylee Ryan released Touch by Touch which I'm excited about. Um, I think I mentioned that on JC's episode as well. And Lisa Suzanne released the final book in Vegas Aces, which is Endgame today. Well, it comes out Thursday, so... It comes out Thursday? Yeah, so see, I was waiting until they're all out because I don't like fucking cliffhangers. Them should stress me out. <laughs> so I'm going to reread all of them. I'm going to read all of them this weekend. They're so good. And they're really, sh- and it's short and easy reads. So you'll blow through it really quickly. Um, I think the last book is the longest one and that one has like 20 chapters, but they're short chapters. So it's still under, it's still considered a short read, not a long one. But it's but once you get started, you like blow, start blowing through them, and it only took me so long, obviously, because I reviewed every single one of them, which meant I had to wait ten days in between getting them. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they were really good, and I'm really super excited about them. I'm excited to read them. Anything else? I think that's it. Um, next week. Next week is a big week for some books. Um, yeah, mine included. Gina Az is releasing The Faker, which is the third book in her uh, Boston series. I am, my cover reveal is this coming Saturday, not, it's next Saturday, the 24th. Right after Saffron Kent's cover reveal of A Gorgeous Villain. So uber excited about next week. Next week's going to be so fun. I'm so excited for everybody to see the cover of Courage for Fools. It's going to be beautiful. I'm I'm really excited for books this month. I think the next two months, some really, really good books are coming out. And you get to read mine more than just the sex scenes. Exactly. <laughs> We have really good episodes coming up, mm-hmm. which I'm really excited. Um, you'll hear this one first now because I did post a teaser of it on t- TikTok. So if you've seen my TikTok of my writing, my handwriting, you will see who's coming in the future. But Molly McAdams, who is a, I believe, a New York Times bestseller mm-hmm. for her book, Taking Chances, um, and From Ashes. I believe From Ashes one has a bestseller um, label, too. But she'll be here in about two weeks. Um, Alexis Winters is coming back. Mm-hmm. We love chatting with her. We've uh, also got a couple of new, a couple cool authors coming on too. We're not going to say yet, yeah. but I'm excited to chat with our guest today. Is one of your favorites? Oh, our guest today. Our guest today is literally 
one of my favorites, not even just author, human being in general, such a good person, honestly, just one of the best people in the author world, I feel like, just really genuine human being. However, when she talks, man, she makes me feel dumb as fuck because she's so smart, dude. She's so intelligent and so eloquent with the way she words sentences. Man, I just think she she reads a dictionary. She's got to. She reads a dictionary. She's so smart. She's so smart. And it's like not only translating through her books, it translates, you know, in person too. So I can't wait to talk to her. And you guys are going to be excited because it is Gianna Darling. Writer. Everything. Writer of the fallen men, Gianna Darling writer of daddy zeus gianna darling i love her i love her so much and yeah i'm just super stoked to ask her all kinds of questions and hopefully she can give me a little bit of spit maybe she spills a little bit about what's coming next for the fallen men and maybe she gives us a little inside scoop on the win heroes fall duet which is coming may and june yeah I, a lot of people are excited to her but I haven't had a chance to read her books yet, but I'm really excited because after talking to so many people, so many people said, don't be worried about reading her books. Misty Walker was one of them because I told Misty how I mentioned her MM series to people. And she was like, she goes, I'm obsessed with Gianna. She was like, I didn't know you guys were having her on the podcast. And I was like, surprise. I mean, I don't even think like, so, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Gianna's stuff is I mean, it's not fluff, but it's not dark either. Like she says, she writes in a kind of middle gray area. Like there are scenes where you're like, oh God, my soul is crushed. But there are also scenes where you're like, oh, I'm blushing. This is so precious. I think that's why I'm excited to read her. Yeah, I think you'll really like it. I think you'll really like Gianna because I think she has a really great way of balancing. And that's the one thing. I don't do dark romance, but I love MC. Oh, she's the bomb. So good. And one of my favorite MC authors is Janine Infante Bosco, who is, if anybody hasn't heard of her, she is doing the TNT signing in Staten Island in October. Yep. Um, she has a phenomenal MC romance, which is her North Carolina MC series, which is great. Um, so I'm really excited. And she will be here in a couple weeks. I know we have so much excited to talk to her. Um, I think that's really it. I think I agree. I think that's it too. So you know what that means? You know what that means, right? That means we're gonna get on over here and we're gonna go chat with Miss Gianna Darling. Thank you so much for joining us. We're super happy to talk to you, Miss Gianna Darling. Thank you. Can't can't wait. I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. I have like the amount of questions that I had to narrow down on this list <laughs> were insane. I, wa- I was like, I was, I was typing away and I was like, oh my God, this is going to take like three and a half hours just to get past like book <laughs> me to chill. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've read all of your books religiously multiple times and uh, yeah, I love your writing, I like your writing style. I think uh, kudos to you. I'm going to compliment you. I compliment authors in the beginning and then I ask questions um okay love your writing style it's very like you're very in-depth with things I feel like are necessary that some authors would easily like surpass but you're just so detail-oriented and I love it like there's never any strings unless you want them to be untied like you never leave a string untied unless on purpose 
So I Thank love that. You. That means a lot to me. That's really a wonderful compliment. I definitely uh, like to have complicated books and intricate books. So that means that means a lot to me. My jam. It's my jam. I love it. Okay. So <laughs> we're gonna start with book one in the Fallen Man series because I feel like iconic it's like I love these books and I mean I love all the books but I love these books these men are like my my soul okay so book one which is lessons in corruption you started this series off like with just you were like here is what I am writing I'm gonna be dark gritty and if you like it you like it if you don't you don't so did you always want to start with King and Crest or was like I know a lot of people start with the presidents of like MCs to start up a book so why his son Okay, so I wish that I could tell you that I'm some like grand mastermind, like really planning author who has just lists and maps and whatever. I don't have any of that. Um, honestly, I, when I had the idea, I had no plans to write about an MC. If you had told me, whatever, five years ago now that I would be popular for writing about a motorcycle club, I would have laughed because... <laughs> I am not a biker babe. I am just not. <laughs> and uh, so it kind of shocked me that I had this idea. And the idea literally came from just looking at this picture of the model Christopher Mason, gorgeous oh. man, slashing cheekbones, absolutely um, leaning yeah. on the side of a motorcycle in a parking lot with like a chain link fence behind him. And he was looking into the distance in such a way that I thought he, it was this possessive, kind of impatient gaze like he was waiting for his woman yep. to get there so she, she could get on the back of his bike and they could take off and literally instantaneously as soon as I saw that photo I had King Kyle Garrow the hero of lessons and corruption just like fully formed in my head and within the span of I don't know 10 minutes I knew Zeus Garrow I knew Harley Rose Garrow mm -hmm. I knew Cressida I knew King and Cressida's story almost completely um, at least like loosely the, the structure of the story. And I think within about two days, I had over 10 books in the Fallen Men series kind of loosely planned as in which Fallen Men would get a book, um, maybe who the antagonist would be, what the title was, what the like loose conflict in the story would be. All of that kind of just came at me in a rush. So I guess I, I can't say that I plan to have Lessons in Corruption's first with King because it wasn't like I really planned the series consciously it just kind of erupted from my soul and I just went with it I love that with my whole heart, <laughs> my whole heart. first of all 10, 10 books and and you say 10 books listen woman I could read like 20 of these if you just want to like continue <laughs> I'm fine with it I'm fine I'm here for it okay I actually have more than 10 planned now because <laughs> I'm the kind of author where sometimes I'll go to write a book, even if it's ostensibly a standalone. And by the end of it, I love my side characters so much. I'm like, they should probably get their own book. So now I've upped it. There'll be more than 10. I kind of plan to write a Fallen Men book a year until the day I die almost. So there'll be a lot of them. I'm so happy right now. The joy. The joy. Okay, so what is your favorite part about King and Chris's like dynamic? Because I know it had to be fun writing like a biker poet because I think what I love so much about this series is that yes, these men are nitty gritty bikers. And I think you're so authentic with how, because listen, my dad, my dad, I grew up around like motorcycle clubs. Like there was this, uh, they have a, uh, it's like a wounded warriors kind of thing. Like they're all military, right? 
and they have like an MC that they they have a bar that they go to and meet at and like obviously it's not like they're doing illegal shit right however the brotherhood that you you know you write about and how in depth and I think the the details that you take into consideration when writing it (sighs) chef kisses I love it like my dad could read these and be like this shit's good I I think the best compliment or one of the best compliments I got was after I published Welcome to the Dark Side Mm -hmm. and a girl who had grown up in a motorcycle club her dad was the president of a motorcycle club and like an actual kind of maybe not totally legal motorcycle club she sent me me an email and she was like I have never been able to read MC books because they're just not right um and I grew up in it and I kind of have a lot of baggage and emotional trauma from it and I just want to say like I read Welcome to the Dark Side and I was blown away and and you know you got it right and I'm like in love with it and it's one of my new favorite books and it was just for me I'm a bit of a geek so I love to research like as I said I'm not a biker babe but I've read like countless nonfiction books about it watch documentaries etc etc so for me to have someone say that there's authenticity there and to have you say that now it's probably one of the best compliments that I could ever get because I really do strive for that. Yeah, I love that whole heart. Okay, so back to my original question. See, I get off on these tangents sometimes because I get talk. <laughs> hey, I can talk all day, so I get it. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, don't play games with me. Oh my God, my, <laughs> uh, no. Okay, so their dynamic. I like how King is not like, an, they're need, none of the main heroes I think are like normal bikers, but like he's a poet, like, kills me it kills me every time so what was your favorite part about writing like the dynamic between these two I kind of loved that I was flipping cliches on their head a little bit you know the student the student teacher thing for example typically the the teacher is the man and the and the students the woman and just inverting that and also kind of taking this idea that King was not only a bad boy he was also kind of everything that you look for in a prince charming like underneath the letter the leather pardon me and the bad boy demeanor he was actually totally prince charming he was this poetic romantic dedicated Mm. lover and he wanted he knew what he wanted he knew he that he had to treat her right and I think for me one of the things that I really loved was that King is the younger one yeah he's 18 but Cressida is the one that really learns from him. And that's, you know, the title Lessons in Corruption. It's not just because she's a teacher. It's really because she's getting these lessons and how to live for the first time in her 26 years from this much younger guy. And I love that, that kind of juxtaposition. I think it gave the story a really interesting dynamic um, that, and that's why it's the only story in the Fallen Man MC uh, or in the Fallen Man series that is just a single point of view because it was really about Cressida's evolution, even though she was the older, more mature, more learned character. Yeah. It was really King that kind of took her on this journey. So I think that's my favorite part of Lessons in Corruption and also why they have, they're the only couple that has two books because, you know, there was a lot of growing for both of them to do. They were both young and had lots to learn. Yeah, we needed King's POV. <laughs> like- yeah. Yeah, we needed that. I needed to yeah. see what was inside of this man's head. And I think that that was, you know, a great thing about this story is like you said, that she's learning from him, which seems 
odd but when you read about her backstory it's like almost like you know she spent her whole life like living in this box and he's just like fuck this box watch this (laughs) and I, I love it I love it so moving on to welcome to the dark side daddy Zeus is like he's iconic (laughs) I love this man um when I think of like my top five MCs it's hard not to put all five of your books on on a list but welcome to the dark side daddy Zeus is number one always I love him and I love him and a lot daddy Zeus is number one always doesn't even matter it's always daddy Z I will be honest with you though when we get to it priest was there he was there I was like I think I'm gonna dethrone. I'm thinking I'm gonna dethrone him, and then I was, and I reread it, and I was like, God, my love, man. Now that uh, I'm thinking about that, isn't that the book that's number one in our top five MC? Yeah, it is. Video. I told you it is. I thought so. I I remember writing them out. That means so much to me. Oh my gosh. So where did you get the idea for Zeus to end up with somebody like Lou, like who's like sunshines and rainbows? You know, I think that fundamentally, I really enjoy opposites attract uh, in life, in literature and everything, because I think that that kind of um, being on either end of the spectrum, it always creates sparks when they come together, at least, you know, especially at at first, you're like, how are these two people going to reconcile their differences? Yeah, it's kind of adds this other element of angst and curiosity and tension, delicious tension to a romance. And I think that one of my favorite things to do is they're seemingly very different. Obviously it's the mayor's good girl daughter and this ex-con motorcycle club president, 19 year age difference. Like they seemingly have nothing in common. And one of my favorite things to do is underneath all of the social expectations and the social roles and the boxes we put people in, I don't think people are that different. I think that we can connect on so many different levels. And at the end of Welcome to the Dark Side, I think the reason that people really love that love story is because they realize that actually they're not so different. They're not totally opposite. They really fit together in a way that makes sense. And they really kind of have the same mentality about a lot of things in their lives. So, So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say again that I consciously decided okay, well, Zeus is this way, therefore he must have a woman who's like this. Yeah. Um, for me, my writing and my like ideas are very character-based. Yeah. So, so it's always kind of the characters that come to me and it's kind of like they're whispering in my ear telling me their story. So yeah. I had Zeus and like almost immediately I had Lulu as well. And I knew their dynamic and kind of what was going to happen with their story. It's like the threads that tie like human beings together, you know, like Mm. very, like the underneath portions of like what we don't show to people on the outside in like fear of being judged or not being like understood because you don't fit a certain expectation. And in their book, it was very like Lulu and Zeus didn't have to fit any expectations to be with each other. And throughout growing, and when you read the series and you watch Lou grow, it's like, man, you're perfect for that dude. Like, I know that people think that she's just like sunshine rainbows, like whatever. And she has like a taste for like being bad. Sometimes that girl was like, in Dead Man Walking, I was like, sheesh, sheesh. Oh yeah. I was like, somebody, somebody get this lady. But yeah, so I love that she's able to not only be like sweet sunshine for him, she can also be like the protector that he needs sometimes too. So yeah, and I think that like, 
I think in all of my writing, um, but especially in the Fallen Men series, I really rebel against this idea that you can typecast people, that people are all one thing, or even that, you know, in a group of people, you can label each one as a certain thing, you know, like you're the smart one, you're the funny one, you're the pretty one. It's like, no, there is room for everyone to be all things at all times, even simultaneously with another person, you know, it's not like there's a limited piece of pie and you, you can only have one piece. And so in The Fallen, I really kind of love to explore how you can get past like these social boundaries and these social constructs and really explore who you are and who you wanna be without any constraints. And that's the beautiful thing about an outlaw motorcycle club. They don't give a fuck. Am I allowed to swear? I'm sorry. They don't care at all. <laughs> okay, so they don't, they don't care at all about like they have no expectations. They don't care if you want to dye your hair blue, if you want to, you know, ride a tricycle to work. They they don't care. They just want to know who you are as like a person, and yeah. that's a really for that. Yeah, they don't know people. There's no judgment there. Like yeah. they are, a, you know, it's all family. they're like misfits that have this place to call home, and they don't judge each other because they're all different. And yeah. they think that that's actually something to be celebrated and bonded over and not something to be judged and ridiculed. And so that's why this club has become such a safe space for all of these really interesting characters that you oh, find yeah. in the Fallen. And, and not to mention that the outside world judges them so much that it's like, um, like it's insane. Cause it's like, if you would walk a mile in like somebody's shoes that's like actually in that club and you were like damn I must I'm a bitch for like judging all of these people and like you know only seeing surface value so yeah I love I love all of that um yeah so I, honestly, I think Zeus isn't like for me it's so funny because you know Zeus is this big bad motorcycle president you know he's an ex-con he kills people with his bare hands but to me like I don't see any of that I'm like he's such a good guy like why wouldn't anyone want to be with him you know I don't see any of that bad stuff I'm like he's a catch yeah you know, and I'll be all <laughs> like and he's a great dad like everybody wants to be with Zeus like what do you mean what do you mean I love it. And I mean, there's something about a yummy daddy. And he's a yummy oh, daddy. Like, he's a good dad. He's a sexy dad. Wounds. So, <laughs> um, this was like a really big age gap. Like you said, it was like 19, 18, 19 years, right? 19. So what was that like, writing that dynamic? Because dynamic? I know some authors really struggle since it's so big. Yeah. You know, um, I grew up with a single mother. And I was also raised by my grandparents. And for most of my life, I've struggled uh, actually to make friends with my peers. And I usually am drawn towards older people. Um, you know, my man now, he's only 16 days older than me. But before we settled down together, I often dated much older men. Like I think one of my serious relationships, uh, we had a 14 year age gap. And for me, I, I really don't think that age is important as maturity level. And yeah. I think you can really learn from anyone if they're younger than you, if they're older than you. I mean, everyone has something to say and everyone has import. And I think that for me, like, it's just a fundamental view that I have of life that age doesn't matter. Um, you know, I laughed because about, I don't know, I guess a year or two ago when the fallen men started to be a bigger deal, everyone was like, oh my gosh, you're an age gap queen. And I was like, am I? And then I realized I actually, without even actually meaning to, had only written age gap books. And yeah. it wasn't even something I consciously did. It's just that 
I really don't think that it matters when two people connect. And I believe this happens like even platonically when two people connect, you can kind of feel this like, you know, this like an anchor in your gut from you to them. And, and it's, like, oh, it's going to end, but you just know that that person is going to be in your life. You just know, you're just like, okay, wow, I feel this. Like, I kind of feel you, I feel safe with you. And this is going to be a great relationship to explore in whatever iteration it takes. Mm -hmm. And I don't think age is a ma matters. I don't think that social status matters. Like all of these kind of constructs, these social constructs, I really kind of like to throw a grenade at them in my writing because just to make people, and lots of people are uncomfortable with that. Obviously a 19 year age gap, Lots of people have tried reading the book and being like, oh my God, this is disgusting. That's totally their prerogative. For me, I want to write books that make you question the gray zone. I'm obsessed with, I don't think things are black and white. I think almost everything falls into the gray zone. Yeah. And kind of asking yourself these questions about why you think this way. Like, why do you think that that's disgusting? If you give it a chance, maybe you'll find that these dynamics are actually much more beautiful than you expected just based on your surface level judgments. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that I necessarily set out to do that, but that's just what I'm naturally inclined towards is like kind of forbidden, not even dark, honestly, just like these forbidden aspects and kind of asking ourselves these hard questions about why we think the way we do. Not to mention, I think that a lot of people have this um, sort of, they, I literally lost what I was going to fucking say. And I'm so mad. <laughs> it's such a good fucking statement. Ah, I hate oh when God. I do that. I, like literally, we'll do that. So don't worry. Oh, willful. No. Oh, it's like, okay. It's like people are comfortable. Okay. And they will accept what society gives them in order to make themselves feel comfortable. Right. So mm -hmm. even if like, there's this article about how uh, age gap relationships are, you know, 97 more per percent more successful than people who are closer in age, right? Even if this article came out proven, there would still be people who would look at it and be like, ah, I'm ignoring it because it makes them feel comfortable in their life, right? And a lot, I think a lot of people have a lot of problems with being like, this, I enjoy this. It's not what I'm doing, but like, I love the fact that this is happening kind of thing, right? Like you don't have to live that life to be able to understand and accept that life, right? And I think you said it so eloquently. It's so true. I mean, you know, dark romance authors, forbidden romance authors, they get quite a bit of flack. Like, oh, you're a bad person. And listen, I'm not in an, in an age gap relationship. You know, I'm not a biker who sells drugs. I'm not any of these things and I'm not promoting them. But I think it's really funny. I think it gets harshly judged, especially in romance. Oh yeah. Horror authors aren't like promoting murder and serial killers. No one's accusing them of like being like, oh my gosh, you're promoting gun violence and murder. But then in romance, it's like, if you, if you are writing a fictional story um, about like a captive or about, you know, a motorcycle gang or whatever, you get judged pretty harshly um, because you're right. It is outside people's comfort zones. For me, like it was never even an option that I, it's never been an option for me to not write what I want to write. I've yeah. been writing since I was eight years old. I, it's my passion. It's my drive. I need to write to be sane and I need to write what I need to write. And so, you know, like diversity was never an issue for me. I always was going to write diversity, writing forbidden aspects. That's always been something that I really wanted to do. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> like I have to do what fulfills me or else I won't ever be happy with my work. And so I can live with people being uncomfortable with what I write because I write things that 
interest me and that clearly interest other people. It's okay if it makes people uncomfortable. In fact, you know, my tagline should maybe be romance that makes you uncomfortable because I love that. Like, I want you to think about that and, and kind of ask yourself and judge yourself a little bit the way that you would judge others. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I grew up as a curious child anyways. And so there was no doubt in my mind that I was always going to like dark shit, I guess. Cause like, there's just something, it's not funny, Stevie, don't laugh at me. I, <laughs> it is obsession because- with anything that like goes bump in the night. That's why I liked Mia so much. I was like, oh my God, this girl is my spirit animal. I have a fascination with all things dark because there's just something that my curiosity, I have like, okay, I have like little, pe- people have like little pieces of curiosity in them. And mine is like my entire body. So anything that the light covers, it's like, oh, I can see that. I can like look at this and like break this down in the light. But like things that are in the dark, you have to like be, you know, you have to dig and find things. And you've learned things about yourself and other people that you would have never saw before. All because it's scary. And I, and I like being scared. So it's a discovery, I think. It gives it a greater sense of discovery because it's something that you're not really used to right yeah. so you're not really used to reading some, like a dark romance this isn't something that happens every day you don't have a neighbor who went through this that you can talk to <laughs> yeah kind of, you know, so the sense of discovery and, a, and an adventure I think is really heightened because yeah. it's so unusual and I think it's also like you kind of ask yourself as a reader I think crap how is this author going to make me fall in love with these characters when this crazy yeah. horrible stuff is happening and that kind of adds you know, heightens the stakes as well. Like, wow, they started off with a bang and it was like pretty crazy. How is this going to unfold versus, and I'm not, I'm not bashing any other kind of romance. Romance is beautiful in all its iterations, but like, if you're reading, you know, a fluffy romance, you're like, okay, you know, they're going to meet, they're going to be like, oh no, should I, shouldn't I? And then there's going to be a misunderstanding and then they're going to get together and it's going to be really great. You know, you kind of, dark romance or forbidden romance often isn't formulaic. And so again, that sense of discovery, I think is, is greater sometimes. I blame Stephen King for the reason that I like dark romance. There's this quote that he has in Nightmare and Dreamscapes, which is a collection of short stories. And if you like dark stuff like that, I recommend that you read any of his short stories. I know that a lot of people think he's very wordy, but his short stories are phenomenal. Okay. And so he, in the, in the dedication portion of it, he always, he calls himself constant readers like the people that read his books right and at the end of it he's like okay uh he was like okay my dedication's done now we're going now it's gonna be very dark take my hand it's gonna be okay and so he has this ability to go dark and then like even darker than you even could imagine a book to go and it's just like my dad thinks I'm literally clinically insane probably but it's like I and I like that in a romance book. Like if I don't feel that in a romance book, I don't feel like an author's taking me to like the edge of sanity. Like I am like, I do not know if this should be legal. I know it's not legal and morally I'm trying to make excuses for this man, but I think we are at a line. If they don't take me there, I'm probably not gonna like the book. And that's why I really love this Fallen Men series because you do that very well. However, yeah. Stevie, would you like to take Good Gone Bad? Do you want to take these questions or you want me to? You can keep going. I haven't read the book yet, and I'm just enjoying learning this. Stevie is a fluff reader, and she and I love her for it, though. I love her for it. This is why we make a good team. We're fantastic together. Yeah. Hey, yin and yang, baby. I think that's a great team. We're great. I love her. I love that she loves fluff. Not my thing, but I love you for it. So, Good Gone Bad is HR 
and Lion. Now, HR is just, she is Zeus's daughter. Like, for sure. Oh, yeah. I love her. Um, when you were, when you were building their, you know, like, when you were laying their relationship out, did you want, always want Danner to be a cop? Like, to be on the other side of what HR was living? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, as I said, I think especially the first three books, like, I knew those stories pretty well right away um, when I conceived the idea for Lessons in Corruption. And I knew that I kind of had this idea of this, like, old school gentleman, not old school, like, um, you know, like a 1950s, like, Mad Men thing, but, like, old school, like, almost, pardon? Hold the door open for you. Like, yeah, like I I kind of was thinking like a Clint Eastwood, like a wild, wild West gentleman who was kind of raw and gritty, but also, and like a little bit rude maybe, or a little bit. His son is literally who I picture as Danner. That's insane. insane. You know, like kind of hard nosed, like raw masculine, like sensuality. And I, I wanted that kind of energy for Lion. I kind of, yeah, I always pictured him as, like in Eastwood, Scott Eastwood um, was my original news for him. And so, yeah, I definitely knew that he was going to be a cop. I wanted this kind of tension. I love tension between good and bad. You know, that's, that's explored a lot in The Fallen Men. And, you know, Harley Rose is the bad girl. And a lot of the times you don't see bad girls with good guys. Um, it's usually the bad boy with the good girl. And so I wanted that for sure. I knew right away that I wanted that. And Harley Rose had been kind of a bit of a biatch in Welcome to the Dark Side with Lulu, you know, she bought her and it was, you know, so yeah. I wanted her to have someone who um, could handle her. Yeah. So, you know, Lion being a cop, being older, being this kind of like wise guy kind of energy, he like, and kind of the stoic strength. Yeah. To ground her. That's what I knew he needed. Um, and then his kinky side uh, was also <laughs> yes because he and again it's, it's I love doing this I love like subverting a, a cliche so he seemed like this gentleman cop mm-hmm. but deep down he was this kinky deviant guy and Ooh, so is, is, I'm dead kills off <laughs> I love him. I love him I think he's very underrated and I love the dichotomy that he has within himself mm-hmm. um and, you know, he's such a good person and he has this strong kind of safe haven energy that Harley Rose, who's a bit wild and chaotic, she really needed that grounding force and that safe place because her life was pretty uh, tumultuous. She had a rough childhood, a rough relationship with her mother. Um, so, so yeah, their, their like dynamic really just, I knew right away. And I think I even first mentioned, yeah, I do. I, I introduced both of them and their energies in Lessons, uh, lessons in Corruption. Yeah. And kind of built it through. I'm going to tell you a story because when I read this book, so Zeus is my favorite, like male, right? However, Good Gone Bad is my favorite book. Does that make sense? For sure. Because HR and Lion are literally, literally me and my husband. So what? yeah, I swear to God, he's a, he was a, he's in, he used to be a cop like a few years ago, like two years ago and he's older than me. Yeah. And I'm like, so when I read this story, I was like, I was like, Gianna, stop writing my life. <laughs> so I didn't grow up, I, I didn't grow up in an MC, right? However, my, my relationship with my parents, like my dad and I are, 
uber close, but he's been remarried. I can't tell you how many times. Like, the, I love him to death, but Lord God, he's got children everywhere. Um, and he was a bit crazy and wild and like, you know, but he went to jail once or twice. I love him though. And he's, but see, the thing is like morally, and I love, and I love that about him. Morally, my dad could not be more like good and bad, right? But he just has uh, edges, <laughs> I guess. So he, I love my dad. I'm super close to him, but me and my mom have a complicated relationship and I grew up very like difficult and so it made me mature a lot faster but it also made me very bitter with the world and I related to HR like so much when she was like looking for love that like but not like it was like love that hurt her because she felt like that's all she's seen her whole life is shit relationships and arguments and chaos and like Lion was like this calm storm of a man and I swear to god I was like this is the most amazing thing ever this is literally me and Fletch because he I'm like wild and crazy and I've done crazy shit in my life and lord Jesus he is so just like poised and calm and put together and he was raised by a great home he had a great family growing up like to like a mom and a dad in a house siblings he's the baby of the group and he's strong and responsible and I was like this is we're the complete opposite of each other what in the world but I saw him and I was like I want to literally fuck his life up like that's literally what I thought in my head yes that is such HR vibes right there thing in my head where he I was like oh my god he's such a like clean cut like good guy I'm gonna like wreck his world like that was like literally in my head the whole time I fell in love with the fucker and I was like damn it <laughs> I and love that that is, that is I, such a good love story I know and I call him my golden boy because he's like blondie he's got blue eyes and yeah I was so I was reading it and I was like babe you need to read this book it's like us in a book like seriously I mean minus a few bumps in the road but literally it's us and yeah so he was a cop and I was like somebody who probably probably should not have been with a law enforcement person with the shit that I was doing yeah. in my life. but yeah so I read it I love that book I love Danner and I love HR because it just it's literally my it's like my life I love it for you that is so beautiful I I love that that's amazing I literally wanted to say and I think I that's what that's what I was saying earlier like I think this opposite attracts thing it's not just a romantic like a romantic cliche in literature or anything It, it does happen a lot in real life and um I think it can be really powerful how how people like that can connect and if anybody needs to know how Harley Rose and Dana are doing, like, in the future, I swear to God I could tell you, because on the daily, I have no idea how Fletch puts up with me, honest to God. Honest yeah. to God, I am literally a train wreck, and he, I love him, he's great, so. You have that, that's beautiful. I needed to share that story with you. Um, yes. <laughs> Thank you for doing so, that's really lovely. Um, so, the newest installment of the, you know, Fallen series is Dead Man Walking. Now, when you, like, told people that you're writing the next book in the in the you know whatever and you weren't he hadn't released like the couple yet I was like I wonder who it's gonna be and I was not expecting it to be priests okay it was not really? oh, okay. I promise I was not mostly just because I have a fascination with a certain character in this series that I have I'm just gonna pick up. yeah oh, absolutely absolutely I'm in love with him yeah. literally yeah. and I don't you know, know what so many people love Wrath. It's I get messages I say almost every day being like, "Where's Wrath's story? When are we getting it? Why are you writing it?" 
I'm just going to patiently wait. He will come when he's ready, but I just know that he's going to be tragically amazing. If you write his book, are you going to write his book? Are you going to write his book? Well, I do. I never say whose book I'm going to write. Um, I never confirm or deny anything. Um, I only announce who a book is going to be about like right before I release it. So you won't find out the next couple until 2022 and you won't find out the other ones until their books are coming either. <laughs> so if you write him, I just know that he's going to be tragic and beautiful and I'm going to love him back to hell. very tragic. His story is just, yeah, he's a very tragic soul. Um, I, I Personally, I will say that I love Raph, but he has been through, you know, he found the love of his life. And, and, you know, something bad happened. And so... I really think that like realistically, you know, again, I, I like to try and be realistic. If I found the love of my life and for whatever reason, I wasn't able to be with them, it would take me years yeah. to recover. And I will I, say that about Ralph and his timeline. Yes. And I mean, I get that. And I appreciate that you respect him as a character. I just have a fascination with loving him. However, I was not expecting Priest. And then when you announced it, I was like, oh, this shit's going to be good. This shit's going to be good. So... It is Priest and Bia, and when did his story grab you? Like, when were you like, yeah, this is happening. I'm writing him. I have to. Right. Yeah, because I was supposed to write, uh, actually, the Mafia duet that's coming out soon, um, but I had, so I, I always knew, like, I'm the kind of person, I have what I call creative ADD. Like, I get ideas all the time, and I have, you know, notebooks filled with ideas and Pinterest boards for projects that won't happen for years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I knew Priest and Bia and a lot about their story and just kind of like the dynamic and the, the aesthetic between them for a long time. And I was always super excited to write them. There's some stories that like are in the future that I just get super jazzed about. And theirs was one of them. Um, but it wasn't until I had this dream um, before Christmas that like really seized me. I woke up from it being like, <gasps> um, which had never happened before. Mm -hmm. uh, that I was like, okay, I have to write it right away. So my dream is essentially the opening sequence of Dead Man Walking. Um, there's like a car accident scene. Um, and that was the dream that I have. And so that's what really, I was like, you know what, screw my schedule. I have to do this. I'm going to do this right now. Um, and writing their book was a really intense experience. Um, I listened to true crime podcasts. I read so many nonfiction books about psychopaths and psychology and um serial killers and that's I just did a lot of so I was like, that's my major so I was like this shit oh. is my jam oh so you really identified with this one yeah and Bia like Bia is kind of my spirit animal too because I am not like even people that talk to me after reading my books, they're like, you're so nice and like bubbly. And I just wasn't expecting that from reading your books. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, that's fair. You know, <laughs> I'm, I am not like my interests don't define me as a person. Right. So I don't like exude dark forbidden vibes or anything like that, but that's what I'm interested in. And so Bia was kind of my homage to people like you and me who, um, you know, might seem yeah. normal but it fucked up in a great way <laughs> um super yeah, so I was really excited to write that book. very intense though it's an intense experience it's like yeah I'm funny and super nice and like give you the shirt off my back swear to god I'm one of the nicest people I've ever met however I could probably tell you every single serial killer from like 1970 
to today because I have a obsession and it's unhealthy, but it's fine. I like to tell myself we're not defined by what we're interested in. You know, like that doesn't mean that you're like some psychopath, you know, it's just that we can be interested. And we're often, I find interested in things that, you know, aren't really like us at all. And, And it's again, that like opposites attract idea. Like it doesn't even have to be with people. It can be with ideas. We're often drawn to things that we're curious, like that are curious. And we're often not curious about what we know. We're curious about what we don't or what, or things that we're not like. So I totally relate to that. And I think um, it was really exciting to kind of take this, again, this idea of like this good girl who loves pink and frills and curls. And she's got like, you know, a pet bird and stuff like, and she's super religious um, and discover how she could be a bad person, you know, or how she could kind of explore her darker side. Um, And obviously priest is just dark. His light side's not light. I like to say that I'm split into two clean halves of a person. The piece of me that is uh, like lighter and I watch sports and I have like this entire piece of myself that's different than the other half of me. And so, yeah, my dad's always said, like, since I was a kid, he was like, I genuinely think that you were a twin and like you combined because you're two people at one, at any given time, you can be two different people. And it's like, I love it. I, I, I have, I have accepted it. And I think that's awesome. I totally got judged for it in middle school and like high school, but I was like, fuck y'all. I don't give a shit. They wouldn't say it to my face though. Cause they knew I'd kick their ass, but it's fine. Anyway. So, um, in this book, you like priest is a living representation of how sin and salvation can co- coexist in like one place. Now, I know that you said that you like like writing in that gray area. So where does the love of that come from? Like exploring that darkness and like shedding a light on it to make it the gray area. I honestly, I mean, I don't know if I can cleanly track it to, you know, a childhood event or anything like that. I think that, um, I often have felt the way that you do a little bit dichotomous split in two, um, particularly my parents. My mother was very um, traditional, maybe a bit old fashioned with her values, like super successful, very much into society norms and expectations and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a really good person, like you can't fault her, like she, just a traditionally good person. And my dad was very much not like that. He was the opposite. Um, he like had a reputation wherever he went. He was wild. He like, he wasn't even a dad. He was just this really eccentric, weird person that I sometimes saw. Um, and he had this like wild energy and, and he was, people were like, he was, he was magnetized. People were drawn to him. He like almost had a cult following just like, because he was this magnetic force, but he was like very morally gray. He did a lot of suspect things. He was a big liar, like all of these kind of traditional bad qualities. So I think for me, um, particularly growing up in a house that was very like traditional values and be a good girl and follow the rules, but then having this kind of like um, orbiting force that was kind of chaos and sin. um, I was always drawn to that side and it was always kind of, subverted for me like I was in a family that uh mostly just wanted me to be a good kid and you know traditional and all that stuff so it was in my reading or in my like alone time that I really started to like be interested in those themes of what 
is morally gray and what is forbidden and what is dark and why do we have these social constructs and like, do we have to follow them? And all of those kinds of ideas, I just think over the years, because of that situation, that tension between my two parents and those two sides of me, I just started to kind of accept and like dive deeper into. Um, and I kind of just think that a lot of people feel that way. Like they're like, but I'm a good person, but I'm interested in this, yeah. you know, or, and I'm like, that's okay. You can be both. Like you can be a good person and be interested in things that are morally gray or suspect. That's totally fine. I think it's the human condition. I don't think like you're effed up if you're interested in weird things. I think that there's a lot of things to be interested in, in life, a lot of things to question and that we should, and there should be freedom there to do that. And I think you're, you learn so much about yourself in asking yourself those hard questions and in following those dark paths. Yeah. And questioning doesn't mean disagreeing. It just means that you have questions. And so like my dad is now, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So my dad has now is very, so my dad's religious now, like very religious. And I, and I like this. I love that about him. I love that he's like found a path that he feels, you know, has made him a better person. And it has, like he has, you know, some of the things that I feel like some people would say were like morally wrong or like bad, I guess he has fixed and he doesn't do anymore. Like, you know, he doesn't, you know, drink or do drugs or anything of that nature anymore, but you know, he has found religion. And so we have, but he's always been super understanding with me in the way that you're curious. You've always been a curious mind. You always are going to have questions and you're not going to ever find your path to religion until you are ready for it. And I'm not going to, force that on you kind of thing and I wish that so many more people were like that because it's like I'm not disagreeing with you I just I question certain things about life and in when I say that it's like enticing an argument with somebody to be like but listen and it could be about anything it could be about religion I mean politics anything and I fall in this area where it's like I just just because I question it doesn't mean I disagree with you it just means that I don't understand I want to know more and I think that questioning things gives us a deeper understanding. You know, it's not a bad thing to question things. Even if you like, you know, you are religious, you can be religious and question things like Bia, for example, in, in Dead Man Walking is a good example of this. She questions things a lot uh, about her religion, but she has deep faith and she loves her God and she is, you know, a good Christian girl but she's allowed to have these questions. And I actually think her asking those questions and wanting those answers gives her a deeper faith and a deeper understanding of herself. So yeah, I think the idea of questioning something as having a negative connotation isn't really right because, um, you know, you want to, I think that personally, I have the ethos that I always want to learn. I always want to grow. I always want to evolve. I want the same thing for my characters. I want the same thing for my storylines. And you can't do that if you're not asking questions. So I think it's pivotal to ask those questions and it doesn't mean that it's disrespectful. It just means that you're actually, I, if anything, I think that it, it is respectful because you're trying to learn more about something. Yeah. And Bia, like priest was literally Bia's like question of like faith almost their entire relationship was a huge metaphor for question, like questioning certain moral obligations. And that if Bia loves, you know, if she's a Christian and she is a good Christian girl and she loves her God and that kind of thing, how can she be with somebody like priest, you know? And like, even within herself, she was like, I don't, sometimes like she didn't understand like this, like pull that she had to him, but it was like, 
in every single thing that we do in life, there's always going to be like a yin pulled to a yang, no matter like where you go. And so I loved the whole book was just a gigantic wrapped up with this gigantic metaphorical bow. And I was like, Oh, I love this. This is amazing. And you, like I said, you write so well and so eloquently and your vocabulary is fucking insane. Like, do you just read a dictionary? Do you just <laughs> desk and read dictionaries all day? Cause I'm like, shit. I love it though. It's so good. I learned so many new words. I learned so many new words when I was reading Dead Man Walking. I love oh, it. God. I, you know, it's so funny because when I first decided to write a romance book, I was a bit self-conscious and a bit nervous because I'd never set out to really write romance. That wasn't my goal, even though I'd wanted to be a writer since I was eight. I just kind of thought, well, at the heart of every story that I love, there's romance romance why don't I just try to write romance and honestly romance like 50 shades of gray happened I was like oh you know I'll just try this yeah um but I was nervous because I was like I don't really write like a romance style way you know I don't like I'd write romances and I remember thinking like well maybe I can change it a little bit and sitting down and like trying to curtail myself and I really couldn't because of just who I am as a writer, I just black out and write. And that's just the way that it happens. So I wasn't able to do that, but I was self-conscious when I released my first few books. Like maybe people would think that they weren't good. They weren't like the norm or they were too flowery or they were too whatever. Um, and now it's funny because over the years, I've got so many people being like, I love that you write beautiful books. Like they're yeah. romance novels, but they're beautiful books and they're eloquent. And that for me is just like one of the biggest compliments ever because I love the written word and I love storytelling and so you know I want people to like my characters I want people to like the love story but to have someone actually say like you write really well is just what a fabulous compliment it, it means like everything to me I could pull any line from any of your books and get it tattooed on me I swear to god if someone <laughs> like, like Russian roulette every single book you've ever read I would get I'm not joking I'm serious I would literally get any of the words tattooed on me well that's incredibly complimentary thank you so moving on to what you're working on currently mm. I am uber excited because I like mafia it's another dark thing that I just like okay I love mafia and that's what you're working on right now mm -hmm. and Dante Salvatore and is it Elena is that how you're saying her name yeah Elena okay so Elena who was in your evolution of sin trilogy for those people who haven't read those mm -hmm. can you tell us what we could expect from these two Besides the fact that I don't know how the fuck they're going to be in the same room together without murdering one another. Yeah. We don't I should say that like Dante doesn't hate Elena. Yeah. He doesn't. He's like, he loves her sister. He's best friends with her sister, Cosima. Um, and the whole, the whole concept that gets them together is they both love Cosima. They love her so much. Elena's her sister. Dante's her best friend. And Cosima knows that Dante's on trial for murder. Not only just murder, he's being tried like under the RICO Act. So basically they know he's a mafioso and they're trying to pin a bunch of stuff on him to put him away. Yeah. And she's terrified for him. And so she turns to her sister, who's a lawyer, who is like so driven, so ambitious, so smart and all about her career. So she's like, what better person to be on Dante's legal team than my sister, who's fabulous. And she makes her sister promise to help Dante. Mm -hmm. Now, normally Elena is like morally upstanding, incredibly judgmental. Yeah. We're focused on her own definition of success and her career and the illusion that she shows to the world. So she yeah. would normally never take a case with 
like a criminal, a known criminal. That's she would, right. Right? Like she would That's never do right. that. She would hate that. Yeah. But she does it for Cosmo. She loves Cosmo. And so it starts this whole arrangement of, um, yeah, these two characters who are have both been badly treated in their in their childhoods by various people. Um, they're both broken in their own way, but Dante became this like huge force of nature. He's strong, powerful, charismatic, devil may care. He doesn't give a crap what anyone thinks about him. He's just going to move through the world to the beat of his own drum and kick ass while doing it. Versus Elena is like hyper aware of her surroundings yeah. and, and what people think of. Her. And she's allowed that to kind of uh, taint her own self-image and like her priorities in life. Um, so they come at, come at life from two very different angles and there's a forced proximity element to this uh, story as well. So they're literally forced together like 24 yeah. seven. And so there's lots of tension, lots of arguments, lots of delicious heat. And, um, and yeah, it's been really fun to write Mafia. I was a bit, I wasn't sure if I'd like it for some reason, um, but it's a lot like MC in that like it's this whole organization that exists outside the law that has their own co code of honor and brotherhood and I love exploring those sorts of things so yeah no it's been really fun and my family's Italian so you know the book takes place in New York and in Italy and exploring like that culture is just always really close to home so I am loving them um the both books come out in like a couple of months the first one's May 21st when heroes fall and when villains rise is June 11th I'm so excited. I can literally die. I can literally die. I'm so excited. And I'm excited. What portion of Italy are your like family originally from? So my dad's side of the family is from Sicily. So the very South and my mother's side's actually from like the very North. Um, in a little town near Lake Como. My grandfather, my Papa Louie is literally, he's from, he's originally from Sicily. Like his grand, my great grandparents migrated over here with him when he was seven. And then my grandmother on my mom's side is French. So they moved, my great, great grandparents on that side moved from France to uh, America when they were pregnant with my grandmother. So my, if you look at my brother, he's Italian as fuck. Okay. He's, he's got the skin and he looks like, and I'm like, I, why did I get the French side? <laughs> hey, I love the French. I have lived there on and off my whole life and the French are awesome. And so is France, but I understand you. But actually what's funny is my mom's side from the North are all blonde and like blue eyed. They have the olive skin tone, but they're very light. And in the North, you see a lot of like blondes and light eye color and stuff. So in Sicily, they're like very dark. There's like the Moroccan, North African yeah. influence that, um, and like Arabic influence that came in. So yeah, two very different sides. Yeah, so I was when I was like twinsies. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I'm super excited to read this mafia. I'm like, I think you're gonna do it well. I think you did MC well, and I think you're like super detail oriented. So uber excited to read it, and it'll be done. And I also was gonna say this, and I almost forgot to say it. I also really, really want to thank you for writing a, like writing Elena, like doing her story, because I feel like as readers we sometimes we we love an asshole of a dude right and it doesn't matter how big of an asshole he is because he has some type of tragic backstory that makes you feel sorry for him so it's like ah you love him right we love it but with women man we are so harsh on women because if a woman goes through a traumatic event and a woman has a shit upbringing and she is like 
judgmental and she is got a hard exterior and she doesn't give a shit she's a bitch and we don't like her she's enemy public enemy number uno she is mean girl material yeah but i'm excited to read her because i'm like oh my god yay because she's not going to be mean all the time mean girl material no no i don't think any mean girl is really all the time mean girl material like everyone has a soft spot and i think that you know it's been really exciting for me to write her story um having wanted to write it for years and I was nervous when I revealed that Dante's book was going to be with Elena because I know everyone loves Dante like from the previous series everyone was like oh my god when's Dante's book coming I love him and Elena's basically my most hated character so I felt like my most loved and my most hated together Um, I was worried what people would think but actually people seem to be really excited and I think this is the thing this is also something that I love is like it's all we're all biased we all have our own perspective in, in life. You know, it's hard to say if someone's right or wrong because we feel what we feel and like we're, you know, we're allowed to have our own emotions about things. Um, but Elena was hated because in the Evolution of Sin trilogy, she's kind of the villain. Yeah. Um, but of course she's the villain. That whole series revolves around something terrible that happens to her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she acts like a bitch. She gets angry. She yells. She says some pretty mean things. But I, I guarantee went through what she probably went through you would be too you would be too you would be so mad you would be irate you would not act like your best self so I don't know one of my my favorite things to write about is like a redemption story and I love to write about the evolution of characters and Elena has a lot of growing to do and a lot of changing but she's not a bad person and it's exciting you know the tagline for her book is I am the villain of my own story And one of Elena's like kind of hangups is that because she's so attuned to what everyone thinks about her, everyone thinking she's a villain has made her feel like in herself, like she's a villain. Yeah. And it's about her kind of getting past that other people's perception of herself to find out who she really is and who she wants to be. And I think that's like a really beautiful thing. So it's not only a love story between her and Dante, it's kind of a love story about Elena learning to love herself. Yeah. And I mean, I think that a lot of people, like it's really easy to look at somebody like Elena and be like, oh, like she's a bitch. But if given, not everybody, when given a shit circumstance or something traumatic, turns into like a quiet wallflower who, you know, like, you know, loves the world and gives your, you know, the, you know, whatever. Like not everybody turns into that. Like circumstances make people, like coping mechanisms will make people certain ways and it's like obviously you can't blame who you become as an adult like I firmly believe that what happens to you as a child is super traumatizing and I know that you have to grow from it and you can't blame everything wrong that you do on the fact that you had a shit childhood but I'm saying that the way that people grow based on traumatic events is different and some people become harsh and some people become become bitter and I love characters like that like I love characters it's like oh like I was, you know, whatever, I went through all this shit, but I still love the world and like sunshines and rainbows. And it's like, I love that about some people, but I also love the people who are like, I fucking hate everybody. (laughs) Yeah. There's beauty to be had in so many different forms. And I think like Elena is not your typical heroine, you know, the soft, virginal, good girl heroine. She's not that. She's like the opposite of that. But, um, that's why it's so much fun to write that. And for me, like, I don't want to write the same thing over and over again. I don't want to write, you know, cliches. I want to write about, like, these characters for me, like, they're so vivid and they're so real and they have so many aspects of themselves and, like, mannerisms that I know about and things that they've been through that are important. And I kind of want to highlight them as if I'm writing a biography. 
yeah um, someone that's really alive like I want you to see all their faucets I want you to see them their flaws because I actually think that flaws make us multi-dimensional and much more beautiful yeah I love that I look at listen to you talk all day she literally sounds so like she's such a good speaker shit okay so teach me how to do that Anyways, uh, I'm going to let Stevie take reading questions because I've been talking for fucking ever. God, I hate hearing myself talk. Anyways, so Stevie, go ahead and take reading questions. Why? Shut up. Okay. What is the first book that you ever read that made you cry? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know, really. I... I'm going to say it was Bridge to Terabithia, which I don't that know. Is Can- that is two Canadians and two Canadians in that book. What? Really? Where yeah. is it? Who was the other one? It was the one with JC Hannigan said it yesterday. Oh, wow. Who was the other one? There was another one who said it too. It was yeah, but I was referring to the fact that JC's from Canada too and just oh, said it yesterday. Multiple people say Bridge to Terabithia. Honestly, it's like really the only one that I can like, like, I don't really have a vivid memory of the first book that made me cry, but I know I cried in that one. Cause that one is like, oh my gosh, soul destroying. So I'm going to say Bridge to Terabithia. I think the third one that you're thinking of is Willow. Yeah. Who I think it might have been Willow Winters. In a child mm-hmm. book. Who does? They're the reason I'm fucking. Oh, yeah. It was like super traumatizing. I still remember the feelings that I had when I read that. And yeah, I'm not, I'll never get over it. That's why I, it came to my head because it's the only one I remember from that age being like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what just happened? See, I was traumatized as a child by Lord of the Flies. It's a great book. It's, it is. I'm not saying it's not. I was just traumatized as a senior in high school reading this book. That's fair. Um, what are some of your favorite authors to read? Um, well, in romance, I am a sucker for Mariana Zapata, Kristen Ashley, Sierra Simone, um, C.D. Reese, and probably like Kennedy Ryan. Really like all of those authors. Yes. Or Kennedy Ryan. amazing like she just she seamlessly delivers romance about like important issues without making it heavy-handed without it being dense like it they're always beautiful love stories and you know they're always going to be super unique so I'm just yeah and actually her um all the king's men and her like basketball series got optioned for tv recently which is just shout out to her for being amazing because that's so cool it was yeah. a total of three series, I think, that were picked up. A standalone book and then two series. Mm-hmm. I actually died. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations to her. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, are you a reader or a physical copy? So until like a few years ago, probably like four years ago, I exclusively read paperbacks. But then um, I was getting more and more into indie romances. And it was harder to find them like at my bookstore. And I wasn't really buying things from Amazon. Now I read on my Kindle um, and then I'll buy the book if I really love it. Mm-hmm. Or if it's an author that I really love, then I'll buy the paperback. Like I, you can see some of them up there. Like I have all of Penelope, oh, Penelope Douglas is one of my favorites as well. Um, she's out the building now. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Um, and I actually just started reading her like, I think like a year and a half ago. I'm and really die binge all her stuff and yeah I actually have signed copies of the first three um Devil's Nights books. Fuck my life. <laughs> no, 
you're the first author to come on here that's been like, oh yeah, I read every single time I have to recommend it to people. Right. Oh my God. No, she's so like, I thought she was so popular and she's amazing. Like she's just, her mind is so cool. Like I can't imagine being in her mind for a day. I bet it would Tell be. Tell me who your favorite horseman is and why is it Damon? Okay. Well, I was just going to say Damon. <laughs> Damon is my favorite. But yeah, Damon's my favorite, like hands down, but I don't know. I loved all of the, the, my, I feel like I most often just say my least favorite's Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of them, like, I'm just obsessed with. And like, every time I say someone and then like, I'll reread a book, one of the books and I'll be like, oh, okay, well, no, like, actually maybe this one's my favorite. Yeah, I like for real. They're so like, that's one of the things I love about her is I just feel like she really has all of her characters are so different and so like storied and there's so much depth to them and she goes there you know like Credence for example like that book is so awesome but it's like pretty effed the concept and I love that she went there and she just does it so apologetically unapologetically and she has a female female romance coming out which I'm super excited about because not very many people write those and I just cannot wait for that book so I'm bisexual. So I love when people write like female, female romance. Don't get me wrong. I love male, male romance. I just like mm-hmm. LGBTQ romance in general. But when people, I, like you said, like a lot of people don't write female, female romance. So I'm super hype about, I'm super hype about the whole book. And I eventually want to, well, actually not eventually. I am currently starting a series that will have like an MM and then it's going to have an, like a female, female one because awesome. I don't feel like they get enough love. They don't. No, they totally don't get enough love. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, they should because yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of like, I love male male romance. Actually. I like almost exclusively read male 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 romance now, <laughs> but um, I love, yeah. I just think like there needs to be more representation of the LGBTQ plus community because there's good love stories to be had there too. Absolutely. And by the way, like Kai, I think is my favorite, by the way, like, I love how like Damon's book like went there. Like when I was reading uh, Corrupt and then Hideaway, I was like, I fucking hate Damon. Like I, like every book, I just kept hating him. I was like, why are we liking him? And I was like, oh my God, like he did all this bad shit. And my friends were like, just keep reading, Mm -hmm. just keep reading. It'll, it'll make sense when we get to the end. So yeah, I love all of her books. Yeah, love it so good okay good next question sorry um what's your absolute favorite trope to read mm romance <laughs> i'm like like <laughs> when i say that i'm obsessed like i was definitely a gay man in a past life like maybe in all my past lives like that's how much i love mm romance it's actually a problem like my my friend or tilly cole is an author and we're both like obsessed with male male romance so as soon as we read a good one we've gone we've read so many that we're like scraping the bottom of the barrel now <laughs> we're like oh my god we need to find more so as soon as we find a good one we're like oh my god read this one have you um, read um misty walker's adler's heart i haven't read adler's heart yet i have it on my kindle um but i'm really excited i i'm on a deadline so i haven't been able to read very much but that one's on there for sure that and was i love so good did you read Dear Wild? Really I know that was super popular. Dear Wild? Yes. Oh, I have two copies and one of them signed. Yeah. I And actually, she, yeah, I read, I get to read her book, books early now because I'm like so obsessed. I stalk her. I'm like, can I read all your books, please? Like right now. Um, she's amazing. Am Johnson. Um, yeah. And that book is so good. Um, Hothead by Damon Swade is one of my all time freaking favorite books. MM Romances. It's so good. And it doesn't ever get hyped about, but it's exquisitely written and it's super freaking sexy 
Um, and Wolf Song by TJ Klune is one of my favorites as well. I just like the diverse, I like the diversity that is like, like I said, I'm a part of the LGBT community. So it's something that I am passionate about. I'm a part of, I feel like it, like, because I am, and I have a platform, I feel like it's a job of mine to kind of like speak for that portion of it. And I want all of my books to be some type of like, to be diverse. And I admire that yours are that way. Um, but like, it also makes me nervous because um, like, I like I wrote my first like person of color and I was so nervous because I am you know white and I don't have like the privilege of like knowing that culture and like understanding you know that type of like that that type of living because it is different like people grow up in different ways and I was super lucky that I have a really close friend of mine she's from Spain in Madrid and I base my Latina character completely off of her because I was like I love you I love the way that you're, you grew up and I love your family and how different it is from me and I just felt so comfortable writing that I just don't want to like offend anybody I want to do everybody justice because when I read like bisexual characters that are like I don't that I feel like don't represent well it's like that sucks and I don't ever want to make anybody else feel that way so that makes me nervous it's something that makes everyone nervous. I I didn't become nervous until recently just because I feel like a lot of it a lot of conversations have been had just about, you know, racism, how to be anti-racist, how to how to write diverse characters. Um it's become such a conversation that like uh, you know, I think everyone's kind of nervous about it now, even if people were doing it. Like I was doing it before and I didn't think about anything about it. It was just what it was. And yeah. now I'm nervous. I think that's fine. I think almost having, it's like going on before a performance, like a little bit of nerves is good because it means that like you want to do justice to what you're working and with. And you care. Um, that you care. And I think like having sensitivity readers is really important. Um, I always have sensitivity readers if like for lots of things, actually, like even when I wrote about British characters, I had British sensitivity readers and they're just like yeah. white people, but you know, you want, if you want to be authentic, <laughs> then um, I think it's important to have that. But I also think that you know, we're storytellers and, um, you know, it's not our job to represent an entire people in one character. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's really important to like, just put into perspective. Every single person has a different experience in their life. Like you can't, you know, to generalize anything isn't fair to, to for one part to speak to the whole isn't fair. Like if you are writing a, like I wrote a Latina character in Lila, she was half Mexican, half Puerto Rican. And I had you know, Mexican and Puerto Rican uh, sensitivity readers. And that was great. But it, also what helped me with it was like, she's a one example of someone who is of this heritage. She had a certain upbringing. It doesn't mean that every single person who's half Mexican and half Puerto Rican has that upbringing. It doesn't mean that everything I'm saying about her is emblematic of an entire people. Yeah. And I think once you kind of put it into perspective for yourself like that, it does help you focus on your character and be true to your character and be true to their life and their culture. But also it takes away that like weight of having to represent an entire culture yeah. in one person. And I think that that's like something that it's easy to get caught up in because of the conversations that go on. But as long as you feel like you are being respectful, you do your research and you have sensitivity readers, I think having diversity in books is so important. Like there's no greater feeling as a reader than reading a book and feeling like you can identify with someone in that book. Yep. And for so many years, romance, like romance readers haven't really been able to do that very much. Mm -hmm. um, and not even just like across race, but across like sexuality, across like, um, you know, 
like disabilities and um, neuro, like neurodiverse characters and any everything like that. So I think it's important to bring that to the table. And as long as you're respectful, like that's that's awesome. Well said. Like like I would have stuttered eighteen thousand times trying to put those that's it those sentences together. No, so. Very eloquent. He's <laughs> so good. Okay, so writing questions. I'm gonna take that because obviously you're like yeah. So. When did you obviously answered when you wanted to first be a writer when you were eight, right? But when did you like want to like write romance or like I guess when did when did you sit down and be like I'm gonna write a book? Well, I actually had already written books before I published romance. Um, so I I finished. So I'd been writing since I was eight, and I'd written tons of stories over the years, and then I finished my first full length book because I have like creative ADD I call it so I jump ship on projects a lot and not finish them but I finished my first one it was a 185,000 word literary fiction book when I was 18 um and then I actually ended up doing my master's in creative writing and I had to write a book for pardon me my project um so I had written books before writing romance but um I was supposed to go to law school because of my old-fashioned mother didn't want me to be a writer because um it wasn't stable enough of a career yeah and so I was supposed to go like I was enrolled and everything and I was like I just can't go unless I try to make writing a thing yeah so I decided I was loving romance at the time it was popular at the time and I'd had this actually this idea since I was 16 for a romance novel that I wanted to write a series that I wanted to write so I sat down and I actually looked back at what I had written when I was 16 and then kind of like reworked it and I wrote the evolution of sin trilogy mm -hmm. and I didn't tell anyone that I was publishing it um I just published it by myself I think I didn't have like PR I got my cover made with a designer just because um Corinna Halley who's a Canadian author had yeah. used this cover designer and she was Canadian and I thought okay and I like had it very poorly edited and just nothing to it. Like I didn't have any PR or anything. And I published it and um, published a second one and people were reading it somehow. Like people were reading it and it wasn't by any means a money maker, but just the fact that people were reading it somehow like buoyed me. And so, yeah, I, um, by my third book, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to write. Um, I couldn't make my living off of it, but then my fourth book was Lessons in Corruption. And at, at that time I was actually a food writer and I was living in Europe. And my goal was by the time I moved home from Europe, I wanted to be able to support myself with, with writing romance. And yeah. so, yeah, by the time I came home, I had written Lessons in Corruption and Welcome to the Dark Side and my goal came true. Oh, I love that. My heart, <laughs> be still my heart, that's amazing. Follow your dreams, follow your dreams. Congratulations, that makes me so happy. Congratulations. So. Do you have any interesting quirks when you're writing? Like you have to eat Twizzlers or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, I, I do my best writing in the dark. So um, I used to write mostly at night, but I have a relationship. And so I cannot spend the whole night uh, writing because yeah. he has normal working hours. So uh, what I do is I usually um, like I'll close the blind in my office and make it pitch dark in here, or I'll go to the bedroom and it gets even darker in there. So if it's really dark, I love that. Um, sometimes I listen, lots of times I listen to music. Sometimes I just put on my noise canceling headphones and like just have total sense deprivation and write. Um, I really <laughs> like doing that. Uh, yeah. And I also like, I kind of black out. So if I'm really in the zone, 
I'll be writing and writing and like my man will have gone to work and come home and I'm still like in my zone writing and I won't have eaten or like had anything. I do the same thing. Like, I should probably yeah. go up and pee. Yeah. And he's like, okay, like, can you get up and like move around and have some water and like some vitamins or some food? <laughs> Yeah, okay sure so. attach myself to an IV to make sure I get fluids yeah for sure yeah okay so this is like super like I feel like every author deals with this so how do you personally handle negative feedback um I'm a sensitive flower I am like a very emotional and sensitive and yeah. empathetic person so um and my art is like not a choice for me <laughs> like I, I kind of wish I could be more um studied about it but it's just like cutting a vein and just bleeding all over the page or the computer so you know it's very close to my heart so very early on I stopped reading reviews I just had to um I'll read reviews like if I get tagged in an Instagram post and there's like a review or something like that typically if they're really mean they don't tag me in them um yes. so I feel <laughs> that but you know there's always I'm just a very positive person. I grew up surrounded by negativity and to me it's poison. So if something is negative or if someone's being negative about my books, I just have to kind of turn my head and be like, okay, wasn't for them. They don't like it. Or even sometimes I think people forget that authors are humans and have emotions and that this is like something that's very dear to our hearts and they just roast you. And sometimes back in the day, I'd be like, oh, and I would be sick with upset for like days and now I realize that it's just like anything you know I'm gonna like I learned that I have to write for myself Mm -hmm. as soon as I finish writing a book if I'm happy with it that's where it ends for me like it has to be because if I rely on external forces to like support me and to love me all the time I'm gonna be miserable because that's just gonna happen and so that's kind of like my ethos. I just stopped reading like reviews. I might read reviews when it's my ARC team or when bloggers read it before the book actually releases. But after that, I don't read the reviews. I don't really, I, I don't even really focus on like accolades or like how well something sells. Yeah. Um, I really focus on like, if I love the book, I love the book and I feel like heart and soul in that book. That's like really what it is for me. Mm-hmm. And anything else is just like a wonderful lovely bonus and happily for the most part the romance community is incredibly supportive and like really sweet and so there's a lot of good to focus on you just have to make sure that you focus on that and not on like the negative stuff yeah it's just like tunnel vision you have to just stay where the rainbows and flowers are don't go away from the rainbows and flowers (laughs) it's totally as that like yeah there's toxicity in any environment and any and any job in anything yeah. and anytime you create art you're opening yourself up to criticism and that's just the way it is yeah. I'm not going to get mad at someone for not liking my book they don't have to like my book you know yeah. that's fine um but I don't have to engage with them mm-hmm. I don't have to engage with that negativity so yeah. that's just kind of my ethos it really has made a difference in how I like love my job and how I feel about my books um I just kind of it makes me feel way better to know that I finished this book. I love it. That's where it ends for me. So. Yeah. I love that. I want to be able to do that. I mean, I feel like I'm getting to the point where I just don't even allow myself to feel like, cause I can be, so I have a very hard exterior. And so like, you could probably like say some shit to my face and then I would be like, all right, cool. 
but like I'd probably go home and cry. So I have a very like tough upfront kind of, and I've just gotten to the point now where unless I'm using it for like an editorial thing or like you see it on Instagram or something, that's the only time that I'll like really look at it. And when I read those, it's great. And when people reach out to me, I love when people do that too, because most of the time as they're reaching out to you, they're being super nice. So, and I love that. And I just focus on the fact that that is, you know, those are the people that I'm writing for or the people who enjoy it, the people who want to read it. And Alexis Winters gave some super good advice. She was like, if you see a bad review, go to like your favorite book in the entire world and read the shit reviews that they have. Oculus has like thousands of one-star reviews and Pride and Prejudice is like pride and true classic. So that's the thing. No one, and, and I think that there's something kind of awesome in that too. Like, you know, we were talking about how I don't, you know, for, for example, for me, I like to write things that make you uncomfortable mm-hmm. in doing so. I know, and I accept that not everyone's yeah. going to like my stuff. And I actually kind of appreciate that I want to write slightly polarizing things. So having some bad reviews is just like kind of feeding into that and that's fine and that's okay. Yeah, it's like, yeah, they were uncomfortable. Great. I kind of did my job. Kind of like when they're like, oh, this made me so uncomfortable. It's like, good, yay. Succeeded. Like, I'm not going to judge. I mean, even if someone's judging me based on what I write, I'm not going to judge them. Like yeah. you don't do fire with fire, you know, I'm not going to be negative about them because they're being negative about me or my book or whatever. It's like, I can just focus on the good stuff. No There's harm. Done. Romance out there for everybody to be happy. Like everybody's going to find their niche. Everybody's going to find their jam and jelly and whatever, and have a good day and move on and be excited for whatever's coming next. Um, so moving on to the last portion of the podcast which is super sad because we're going to be going soon but this is our favorite part it's trope questions what the whole podcast is about uh and it's the book boyfriends so what is your favorite trope to write and why and you can be as specific or as not specific as possible well my favorite trope to write is age gap probably because i just happen to write a lot of age gaps and i like it because um i'm really into power dynamics And I really like to like subvert the norm. And so uh, that's why I'm really drawn to age gaps, I think. Or I should probably say just forbidden romances, like forbidden tropes are my favorite. Like every book that I've written has been forbidden. Probably every book I will write will be forbidden because I love exploring those concepts and like asking why it's forbidden, if it's meant to be forbidden, if it's fair, if you can love someone despite those odds um, and the obstacles. can't. Hmm? You read Saffron Kent? Yeah, yeah. I have a couple of her books on my shelf. I was because you're talking about Forbidden Romance. I I love her Forbidden Romance so much. So I love her. Literally obsessed. Because the thing is, the thing I like about Saffron is, is that I can't tell who I like more, like her female characters or her male characters, because I love all of them, like as a unit. As a unit, I love all of them. Super good. Um, But yeah, Stevie, you can take the next questions for Trump. What's one trope you would eventually like to write that you haven't written? Big surprise, MM Romance. Oh my God, please. Oh my God, I have a theory. I have lots of plans actually to write MM Romances. Um, I'm writing one on the side between projects that I have been for like the last year that's just kind of a passion project. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know when I'll publish it, but yeah, I will definitely write Mail Mail Romance. I love it so much. So yeah, that's that's definitely the answer there. I have a theory about you and male, male romance. Actually, okay. my entire I have group, I have a friend group, okay, um, who 
it's like we read we read like the same shit we all have the same taste in books and we have this running theory <laughs> with your series about the a male male romance but I'm not gonna say it on the podcast no tell me no so oh god no I'm nervous because you're gonna be like oh my god that's stupid but no, I would never say that after I read Dead Man Walking, right, I was like, I messaged Melissa. I was like, yo, I have a theory. I need, you to, I need to get on the phone with you immediately so I can get this out. And she was like, okay. And so I called her and I think that Bat, <laughs> Dane, I was like, I ship it. I'm, I'm so here for it. It's so attractive. Listen. Honey, you're not the first or last person to say that to me. I got so many messages after Dead Man Walking being like, Bat and Dane, Bat and Dane, Bat and Dane. When he around the floor with him, I was like, oh, God. That literally, when he rolls around the floor with him, I was like, shipped, shipped. I ship it. <laughs> so much I ship it. And yeah, so that's that's my theory. And I'm not going to, I mean, I'm totally cool with it. So if you ever want to, you know, whatever. But yeah, I'm also excited to see who. I'm excited. So yeah, anyway, Stevie, take the next. Uh, no, it's my turn. No. Um, <laughs> what is the trope that you'll never write? like ever we won't touch it you know I, i'm really just personally not into secret baby um it's just <laughs> thank you <laughs> and not and not into it i just think it's like really weird that you would just like have a child with someone and just never tell them about it not even when they returned like i don't know it's just it's just a bit it just doesn't really like I just have a hard time with that one. It just doesn't really like go over with me that well. So probably I, w- I wouldn't ever write Secret Baby. It's it's that Stevie's favorite trope, bro. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. But, it, but everybody's different. Just like people don't like love yeah. triangles, but I'm obsessed with them. I don't like Secret Baby. Oh, I love love triangles. Love triangles are great. Yeah, no, I just, it, it's just, you know, honestly, that is like kind of my stock answer. Like it's probably the one I'm least likely to write. But then again, knowing me, I could very well end up writing it because- like even with MC romance, I never read MC romance before I wrote it. I, like I wasn't interested in it. And I had like tried a couple times to read them. And I was like, oh, I don't like any of this. So I kind of wanted to write an MC series that like I liked. And so sometimes that's what happens when I write a book. I'm like, oh, I, like, like, I don't really like this trope. I'm going to write it so that I like it. So yeah. I very much could do that. And maybe I just haven't read very many Secret Babies your baby trope or books that I liked but lists bro I'm lists of secret babies wow okay all the secret babies it's secret baby and surprise baby there is a huge difference yeah no I like I don't mind surprise baby surprise baby is totally fine secret baby like hidden baby just for me sometimes I'm like I need it to be plausible somehow the next book I'm writing, I'm trying to make it plausible. I say that I don't want to, I hate, I don't like reading Secret Baby, but I am doing it for this plot because it's what these characters fit. But like, basically she tries to tell him, it's just, he's in jail. So like, oh, well, there you go. if you're, if you cut yourself off in jail, like if you don't answer a phone call, if you don't write, open a letter, if you don't allow visitation, shit doesn't get to you in jail. Like you're alone. And so I was like, there you go. There we go. That's it. That's how she doesn't, that's how he doesn't know. That's really good. Like that's possible. I believe that. Yeah. That's, that's different. Boom. There you go. But yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. It's just like (laughs) my friend Melissa says, oh, she's like, how do you not exchange information and then get (laughs) and then not know how to tell somebody about it? I I agree with that for sure. It gives her hives. So, um, (laughs) Stevie, you can take the last question uh, before we wrap up. 
Okay, if you were in a book, what trope would you want for your story? Oh my god, what a good question. You could be as specific as possible. Okay, I'd want it to be like a fantasy, but the one where it's like the ordinary girl discovers that she's like actually the heir to like a powerful realm and she has super secret awesome powers. That's what I would want because I totally would be in love with being like a magical being that would be so cool I love fantasy fantasy is another like genre that I'm obsessed with so yeah that would be what I would want I would want to be that ordinary girl that wakes up one day and there's like this hot guy at her door like (laughs) hey you're actually a princess of Cathar and (laughs) and I'd be like okay let's go let's leave right immediately that might be the that's the first oh, no. answer we've ever got i knew this was coming have you read glass by oh, sarah here we go shut up stevie have, have i read through glass yeah by sarah j mass yeah yeah i've read all of sarah j mass's books girl can we please be best friends i am obsessed with rowan listen to me that man is goals. As fu- I mean, obviously, I know they started off a little rocky in the beginning. However, I'm fucking in love with him. Like, I would That's I would trade my left it. arm. I'm actually really sad because, well, I'm glad that A Court of Rose and Thorns is being made into a TV series, but I really wanted it to be the Throne of Glass series that got made into a series. I mean, I think that there's still room for it to be made into a series. And yeah. At the same time, I'm, like, a little bit nervous because it's so complicated. And, like, if it wasn't well done, I would cry. But I would love to see that as a TV series one day. It'd be so freaking good. See, my thing is, is I think the reason why I would prefer Throne of Glass over Actar is because only, and I think they're both well-written. I love both series, don't get me wrong. I just think that A Court of Thorns and Roses is more, like, romance drama-based almost. And Tog is, like, so, like, storyline. Like, she fucking... In uh, throne, an actual throne of glass, she literally has to fucking like she's in a fucking competition with all these men. I would love to see that on a screen. Yeah. Me too, hundred percent. It would be so amazing if it was done right. It would be like the best TV series ever. Yeah, I'm also excited for Axar though. I'm just too. nervous. Totally, I'm totally excited for Axar too. I'm just here. I'm, I love the, the director they got because he's the same one for Outlander, and I think he did really good. I love Outlander. They did a good job with Outlander. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm just nervous. Because I, I don't give a shit about anybody. We're always, always going to be nervous. Like, you don't know what they, when they adapt things, they don't have to keep it real, right? Yeah. They don't have to keep it real in the book. So, I know, but it makes me nervous. Like, I don't get with Layson. I don't care about it anybody. Always makes me nervous when they do that. I do not care about anybody but Azriel. As long as Azriel is, is, is what I picture in my head, I'm fine. I'm fine. I love him. He's my favorite. No, I try to go on with no expectations because I just know that I'm going to be sad. But I, I'm being positive about this. Yes, me too. Because I have a good director. However, thank you so much for joining us. This has been super fun talking to you. You're seriously like the epitome of like a humble, great human being. Um, If you have not read her books, like make sure you go check them out. Like, I don't know, what are you doing? What rock are you under right now? If you haven't read them. Um, But yeah, so we leave this portion for you to talk about. If you have a pre-order up, anything interesting, whatever. And then yeah, we'll cut it. Uh, okay, well, I've got When Heroes Fall coming out May 21st. There's no pre-order, but blogger signups are open on any of my social media outlets. You can look and they're there. Um, and I've got the re-release of the Evolution of Sin trilogy coming on April 23rd with a new cover and some bonus content. So if you like love triangles or cheating romances with lots of angst, that trilogy is definitely for you. 
Thank you so much. And we hope you have a great- me, guys. It was so fun to hang out with you.